Thank you. Let's pray. I'm going to pray before David comes to speak to us. Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you for this great opportunity that you've given us to hear your word. And thank you for your spirit that works in us as we listen to your word so that things will be clearer for us. And let your word take deep root and grow and bear fruit. Bless David as he brings your word to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Evening, everyone. And thank you, Bennett. If you have a Bible, could I invite you to turn to First uh, Samuel, chapter thirty-one? It's page three hundred and three in the, the Red Pew Bibles. This is the final chapter of First Samuel, although. This is not the last chapter that we're going to look at in this series. Uh, We're going to keep going with this current series right up to 2 Samuel chapter 5 to the point where actually David becomes king. Uh, That'll take us right up to Easter and then we'll kind of park this series at that point. And then I think if you've been coming here, you'll know that in about eight or nine months time, we're then going to come back and kind of track Uh, the fall of David because up to now we've been tracing the rise of David to become king and then in about eight months time we'll we'll track his fall and it's a good thing that we're kind of not stopping here tonight uh, at this last chapter of 1 Samuel 31 because to stop here or to end this series here would be would be tragic because these concluding 13 verses are pretty distressing and bleak and it's been great that Bennett has been leading us to think about life because in this last chapter basically we have to confront death Uh, so thank you Bennett for for helping us in that last week we we left chapter 30 if you were here on a bit of a high it was a legal high and and David was in a good place after uh, a prolonged period of compromise we said that he was now at a point of finding his strength in God He was inquiring of the Lord. He was seeking God's guidance and leading in his life. He was recognizing the grace of God in his life. And alongside defending the weak, as we looked at last week, he was helping others to see beyond themselves. And and that's kind of where we left it. David in a good place after being in a pretty bad place. But as we leave David and we reconnect with Saul, The the contrast in circumstances is marked and striking. The last time we were with Saul, at the end of chapter 28, he was eating his last supper with a medium. Saul had discovered via Samuel, who had been dead, but had been brought back up by this medium. Saul had heard from Samuel that in less than 24 hours, he and his three sons would be dead. And so at the end of chapter 28, we leave Saul effectively on death row, eating his final meal with the medium of Endor. And then for two chapters, chapter 29 and 30, 
we have tracked David's adventures and his growth and his development. Now, the very final chapter of 1 Samuel, we're back with Saul and back with his ultimate demise. And there's not a lot in here to encourage. <laughs> so, I mean, I know there's some visitors here tonight. Really, this is a bad night you picked to come. <laughs> there's not a lot in here to encourage. There's not a lot to inspire. I'm not suggesting there's nothing to learn. But, but this is not an easy read. And so, please, as we often do at Windsor, stand with me as we engage with what is a disturbing record of Saul's last moments. Now, the Philistines fought against Israel. The Israelites fled before them, and many fell slain on Mount Gilboa. The Philistines pressed hard after Saul and his sons, and they killed his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malkishua. The fighting grew fierce around Saul, and when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and run me through, or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. But the armor bearer was terrified and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When the armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he too fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul and his three sons and his armor bearer and all his men died together that same day. When the Israelites along the valley and those across the Jordan saw that the Israelite army had fled and that Saul and his sons had died, they abandoned their towns and fled. And the Philistines came and occupied them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the dead, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. They cut off his head, they stripped him of his armor, and they sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim the news in the temple of their idols and among their people. They put his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreths and fastened his body to the wall of Beth Shan. When the people of Jabesh Gilead heard of what the Philistines had done to Saul, all their valiant men journeyed throughout the night to Beth Shan. They took down the bodies of Saul and his sons from the wall of Beth Shan and went to Jabesh, where they burned them. Then they took their bones and buried them under a tamarisk tree at Jabesh, and they fasted seven days. Not really sure where you go with that. But let's, let's kind of go over the story. If you've been here... You've known that war was imminent. You would have known that the Philistines and the Israelites were gathering and were due to fight. And in the space of two brief verses, we, we quickly discover the outcome of this fight. Israel takes a hammering. Some run, many are killed, and Saul's three sons, including Jonathan, die on the battlefield. And Jonathan has been a key character in this story. And in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to hear David lament the death of his best friend. But for now, we read that he's been killed. 
Although it's probably worth noting where Jonathan died. He died at his father's side. Jonathan was a faithful son to the very end, despite his own reservations about many of the decisions his dad had made. Despite his own struggles with his dad's behavior, Jonathan remained faithful to his dad to the very end because that was his calling. Jonathan was never going to inherit his dad's kingdom. That was only ever going to one person. And Jonathan knew it. He was going to his best friend. But I reckon, although he didn't inherit his dad's kingdom, he embraced an alternative kingdom that he couldn't or would ever lose. Jonathan's dead. Then it says Saul is badly wounded, that that he's been hit. And he knows what's coming. And so he asks his, his armor bearer, and that was a position that David once held in Saul's life. But Saul now asks his current armor bearer to help him die. It's, it's a kind of assisted suicide request. Kill me. And although Saul explains why he wants to die this way, I want you to kill me because I, I don't want the Philistines to run me through. I don't want them to abuse me. Although Saul explains why he wants his armor bearer to do this, his armor bearer is unwilling, mainly because he's terrified by the very suggestion. And so according to the text here, Saul takes his own life. He draws his own sword, clearly turns it, falls on it, and dies. Although, and you can look at this, an interesting one. You turn over to the first chapter of 2 Samuel, which we'll do in a couple of weeks, you'll discover that that's maybe not quite what did happen. Because according to the first chapter of 2 Samuel, an Amalekite came upon Saul and actually killed him. So which is right? No idea. For now, we'll stick with these current version of events at the end of 1 Samuel. So, Saul's dead. Saul's sons are dead. Saul's armor bearer then copies him, falls on his own sword, and he's dead. And eventually, according to verse 7, the Philistines occupy the abandoned Israelite towns. And however else we see or process this rather dreadful state of affairs, however else we see it, The one thing that we can say or state with a degree of confidence is this. This might might sound strange to say this. But the one thing we can say after we read of these horrific events, the one thing we can say is God is true to his word. Back in chapter 28, via Samuel, God had explicitly said this to Saul. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. That's what God said would happen. That is exactly what did happen. And so what we can take from this is that God speaks a true and faithful word. Always does. Always does. 
And as we apply it here, the specific nature of God's word is judgment. You see, God doesn't issue idle threats. If we do our own thing, if we go our own way, God has said, listen, there will be consequences. Present, yes, eternal, definitely. And one of the reasons why we place such an emphasis on God's word here at Windsor is because we passionately believe that God speaks and continues to speak a true and faithful word. He did then and he still does now. And therefore for us engaging with God's written word, the Bible, corporately and individually is vital. Because what God has stated and revealed in here that will come to pass, it will occur. God does not speak empty words. And therefore you've got to take them seriously you've got to listen intently you've got to hear them regularly because what God said would happen in Saul's life played out and therefore these events in the final chapter of first Samuel and in the final 24 hours of Saul's life remind us that what God proclaims predicts and promises will happen and therefore they will happen in our lives as well what God has said will happen We can have total confidence in that. And I was thinking about this during the week. I I just thought it would come up with a list of of some things that that God has said and promised. And these are things we, we can have total confidence in, even based on a story like this. So here's just a selection. Whoever believes in Jesus, says God, won't perish, but will have this life that Bennett was talking about. That's a promise of God. Another great promise. If we do confess our sins, well, God's faithful and just and will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise of God. It's appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment. That's what God said will happen and it will happen. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then this one, those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And I know that we could go on and on and on listing some of these incredible promises of God and we can just say, listen God, you are true to your word You are faithful to your word and therefore I can depend on you and I can trust you. So Saul's life is over and it comes to a rather sorry end and and one of the other comments that I want to make and, and lessons to kind of tease out of this final chapter is something that we have mentioned before and thought about before and it says it's not only how you start that matters but it's how you finish that really counts. It's not only how you start that matters, it's how you finish that really counts. Because whenever you rewind back to the beginning of Saul's reign as king, whenever you go back all those years to when he first sat on the throne, he was in a good place. And he was in a good place at so many levels. There was so much potential for personal growth and development. The future for Saul stretched out in front of him. Listen to these words from Samuel the prophet who anointed him. Here's what he said to him. Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? 
then a little later on in that same chapter, he says, the spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you and you will prophesy with them and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do for God is with you. Now that, that, that's how Saul started. He started anointed, empowered, changed and accompanied. That, that's how he started everything in place but as we've discovered during this series Saul lost his way and he allowed self and selfish desires to dominate and dictate his decisions he lost focus he began to make major decisions or mistakes he committed gross sins and and you could argue well did David not also commit gross sins during this time yes Saul did but, but David also made huge mistakes and we've looked at some of those but the difference is David repented and grieved over his personal sin. David kept coming back to God. He kept seeking mercy and grace, whereas Saul didn't. Saul continued to do his own thing. He continued to head off in his own direction. And therefore, his life just spiraled out of control and ended so tragically. And Saul might have started well, but there's no doubt he finished badly. And I think it's really interesting and and quite insightful how Saul himself captured his problem because he did in the very last conversation that Saul had with David here's what he said to him I have played the fool and I have erred exceedingly and Charles Swindle in in his brilliant book on David suggests that these five words aptly and accurately describe the life of Paul and would make for a suitable epitaph to be kind of chiseled into his tombstone. I have played the fool. And another writer picking up this idea summarizes Saul's story like this. A man plays the fool when he neglects his godly friends, as Saul neglected Samuel. A man plays the fool when he disobeys God, even in seemingly small matters, as Saul first did Because such disobedience nearly always leads on to worse default. A man plays the fool when he tries to cover up his disobedience to God by making religious excuses as Samuel did time and time again. A man plays the fool when he tries to persuade himself that he's doing the will of God as Saul tried to persuade himself when all the time deep down in his heart he knew he was simply doing his own thing. A man plays the fool when he he allows jealousy or hatred to master and enslave him as Saul did towards David. A man plays the fool when he turns from God and seeks alternatives such as spiritism. We can only finish any such downgrade course with a pathetic groan of Saul. I have played the fool. And the thing is that, that Saul played it right to the very end. And so for us, there, there is a, a valuable lesson, an important warning here, that you can start well and yet end badly. And to a very large extent, that is down to the choices you make along the way. And whether you are prepared to listen to others and learn repentance. David did that. And as the rest of his life goes on, that happened in David's life time and time again. He listened to others. Like, remember Nathan came to David, challenged him. He listened to him. He repented. 
Saul wouldn't listen to others. Saul refused to repent. And as a result, he ended badly. Back to the story. Where what happens next is quite graphic and disturbing. Because we read that a day later, after their glorious victory, the Philistines, according to verse 8 and following, they returned to strip the dead, it says. To kind of take anything from them that was of any value. And when they find Saul's corpse, it says that they cut off his head. They proclaim the good news of his demise and death in their temples. They place his armor in the temple of the Asterisks. And then they pin his decapitated body along with his sons on the walls of Bethshan. And all of this is incredibly and deeply distressing for Saul and for his family and for anyone who was ever connected to him. But when you take a step back and and you zoom out a little further, there's an even greater tragedy to consider. An even greater tragedy to lament. Because you see, as people heard the good news declared in their temples, as people saw this suit of armor hanging in this temple of the Ashtoreths, as they stared at these headless bodies swinging in the wind, the bigger story to tell and celebrate was that Yahweh is being defeated. Yahweh's king is dead. Yahweh's people have been trounced. And God, their God, could do nothing about it. And as one Bible commentator says, pagan evangelists were running all over Felicia chanting, Yahweh is a loser. Because that's what all this said. That's what all this declared. And therefore, amidst the profound sadness regarding Israel's crushing defeat is the deeper sadness that Yahweh is mocked. Yahweh's reputation is dragged through the mud. Yahweh is dishonored. And that's what's so tragic about this story. Because God's honor matters. And it should upset and disturb every true Israelite. And without going off on too much of a tangent, but whenever God is dishonored and mocked and dismissed within our society, culture and context, we should be grieved. It should upset us. It should annoy us when God is ridiculed and laughed at and mocked. Although one of the challenges we face is how we act and we react. Because unfortunately there is always the risk of bringing further dishonor to God's name and reputation via inappropriate action and reaction. And there's a further thought to consider here because the reason it got to this stage, the reason that God is being mocked in these temples and around these walls is ultimately because Saul played the fool. It was because of his poor choices and bad decisions and his personal sin and his wayward behavior that it led to a point where he was defeated and therefore where it appeared that God had been defeated. Where God seemed to have failed. And sadly, and we see this today, 
But whenever the people of God, individually and sometimes corporately, whenever we mess up, whenever we sin badly or behave inappropriately, it can hit the headlines. It becomes the talking point in a local community. And as a result, the gospel suffers. And God's name is dishonored and God's reputation is called into question. And there may not be suits of armor hanging in pagan temples or headless bodies pinned to city walls. But there can be communities torn apart. There can be relationships in shreds, churches divided, and lives ruined. And as people see those things from the so-called people of God, they begin to query God's character and power. And then you hear comments like, well, if that is Christianity, if that's what being into God does or leads to, then I want nothing to do with it. May we never grieve God's spirit or dishonor his name by the way we live our lives. Saul played the fool. Saul ended up ending badly, defeated. But it appeared to everyone else that God had been defeated. Back to the story, because there's then this final twist. And in some ways, there's, there's a kind of tender note to end this chapter and this book. Look at those last three verses again. Because we read that there were a bunch of people who heard about these disgraceful scenes in Bethshan. A bunch of people who couldn't turn a blind eye. And we read that they made their way back to that city. And they took down the desecrated bodies. And they brought them back to Jabash Gilead, which is reckoned to be about a 20 mile round trip. And they conducted a proper burial. And they burned the bodies. And they buried the bones. And then they fasted for a week. And the question is, why did they do that? Why? Who were these people? Why did they make that 20 mile round trip at their own risk? Why? And to discover why, we kind of need to go back to the beginning of Saul's reign as king. Because in 1 Samuel 11, you don't need to turn to it, but in 1 Samuel 11, we read that one of the very first things Saul did as king, whenever he was in a good place, whenever he started out well, one of the very first things he did was he marched to the rescue of these people. These people were under significant threat. In fact, there was a group of people who were threatening to gouge out all of their right eyes. And it says that Saul couldn't sit back and watch this happen. And so he came to their aid. And clearly here was a group of people who weren't going to forget that. Saul might have lost his way, yes. Saul might have played the fool, yes. But in their hour of need, Saul showed up and saved them. And years later, they grab an opportunity to show their respect and express their gratitude doesn't necessarily change or alter anything but it does close this chapter on a dignified note because you're not left staring in horror at these bodies hanging on a wall 
you're actually left looking at a group of mourners laying to rest someone who meant something to them. And I'm not wanting to force the point or insist there's a key, there's a big lesson for us here, but maybe it's enough to affirm that respect for leaders, however badly they get it wrong, still has its place. And gratitude, whenever they do get it right, is always worth expressing, irrespective of how late in the day we show it. And in two weeks' time, we're going we're gonna to pick up on the aftermath of Saul's death. Two weeks' time. We're going to discover what actually happened next out of this. We're going to look at that chapter and hear the alternative version of Saul's end. But as we walk out of here this evening... Let me remind you of these things. God speaks a true and faithful word and therefore you can depend on this. You can depend on the promises in God. They will come true. They are true. Secondly, it's not just how you start that matters. It's really how you finish that counts. So don't play the fool. Thirdly, pray this or sing it if you know Kendrick's version. Restore, O Lord, the honor of your name. We live in a society, we live in a culture, we live in a context where God's name is constantly being dishonored. Let's be a people who are praying that God would restore the honor of his name. Where once again he is held in high esteem. And finally, it's never too late to show respect and gratitude. Never too late. Let's pray together. Father, I acknowledge and confess that I really struggled with that chapter this week. I didn't quite know what really could be shared that would bring any sense of hope or something to grab hold of to take into another week. But God, I thank you that you do speak a true and faithful word. And what you say will happen does happen. Even those things that are hard to hear. God, may we be a people who not only start well but finish well. Save us from playing the fool, God. Help us to learn to listen to others and to learn repentance. God, we yearn for the honor of your name. May we never grieve your spirit or dishonor your name by our behavior. As a church, protect us, unify us. As people look at our lives, may they say, see how they love one another. And may that point people beyond ourselves to you. And God, for our leaders who don't always get it right, God, help us to respect them. And help us to show gratitude when they do get it right. Thank you for your word. Even the difficult bits of it. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to finish with uh, this well-known song. Great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. And I suppose it just says, Lord, we want to lift your name on high. We want to thank you for the work you've done in our lives. And as, as we go out of here... Let's go out with this song in our...
our lips and on our hearts. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise.